Welcome to the C3 Church Vancouver podcast. We know you'll be blessed by this message. For more information on our church, check us out at www.c3v.ca. Great morning here with the Word of God. And so let's welcome Glenn. Happy son-in-law. Oh, awesome. Oh, man. How is everybody? It's Easter. Super emotional today. So let's see if I can get through this without crying. Over or under is very good. I'll set it at one. Uh, can't believe we've been in here for uh, four weeks already. What a run. It's so good. How amazing is Pastor Graham being? Fletch and just getting us in here and filling us in with the, with the history of the place and all that's gone before us and the links and the way that God just weaves a story that, that you don't even know and that you can look back on and say, oh, that, that was God doing that. And, you know, it's just, it's amazing. We can, I think we can all do it in the way uh, in our lives we can look back or in the way that we found Christ and we look back and we go, oh, wow, that was him then doing that and that was my grandparent you know that was my grandma's prayers that did that and nah, it's just funny how God works and the first the first week uh, that we were here uh, Graham was right near the end and he said this he said it's bigger it's bigger than you it's bigger than me it's bigger than us and something hit me there that set, it set off a little bit of a thought about just that, that, this is, that this is bigger than us. You know, what God's doing is bigger than us. What God has done is bigger than us. What God will continue to do will be bigger than us. And it just got me on a little train of thought thinking about different things that are bigger than us. Like we serve in church because it's bigger than us. You know, the, the way his Holy Spirit moves, the way that God breathes new life into us, is bigger than us. And it got me into this one that things are complete because it's bigger than us. And I want to start this morning, um, you know, it's not a super Easter verse, but we're going to pull it all in and I think you'll see that it so is an Easter verse. And it's in Philippians 1 and 6. And Paul's writing to obviously the church of Philippians and he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. You see, we're in a unique position in history, is that we get to see the complete God's word in all its fullness. And it's understanding. And we can pick it apart and we can see from the old to the new. We can see what God's done before. We can see what God promises to do in the future. And we can see it as a complete work. And really, God's whole cycle, the way that he moves, the way that he functions, the way that he reveals himself is in a complete cycle of completion. You see, a man who's much smarter than me said this. Where is there an instance of God leaving anything incomplete? 
Show me a world abandoned, half-formed, a universe, a universe cast off. And that was Charles Spurgeon, so he's way, way ahead of me. But it's an interesting point. Show me anything, anywhere, at any time where God left something incomplete. Where God began a work and went, no, we're going to just brush that off to the side. In all the universes and the galaxies and the planets and the stars and everything that they've found and discovered and think they know about, where's one that was left incomplete? Where's one that's unfinished? Where's one that looks like the Death Star, half-built, hanging in space? They go, you know what, I started that and it's just, it's not very good. We just, there isn't. You see, our resting state is more than likely procrastination. We tend to start things and not finish them. We tend to say, I'll get to that in just a little. Oh yeah, I was planning to do that and I just forgot. You see, we like to procrastinate, but that's not God. That's not how God functions. What he begins, he completes. And as I began to look at the scripture, I thought, wow, it's such a good thing that maybe sometimes we just need to start at the end So we can see the beginning. That we need to look at a point of completion and then we can see how it got there. You see, I love that in the book of James when it says that that Elijah prayed, I think it's for for like three years and six months and there was no rain. I'm like, man, it's funny how if that was us, we probably would have stopped. You know, praying for rain in a drought for more than a year would have to feel a little bit redundant. Two years, you're probably starting to get a little uh, disgruntled, perhaps. Three years, you're like, what the heck? Come on. Then you're at three years, four months, and you're thinking, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Three years, five months. But then three years and six months. If he stopped at three years and four months, maybe this would still be in drought. But it says... That when the clouds were full, all this, when God's timing came to pass, the rain came. When things were full in the timing of God, the rain came. When God dictated the time, the drought was over. When God said now, there was a refreshing rain over the land. Over the land. You know, there's this great verse that says, God has you right where he wants you. With all the time in the world. That's both great and awful. All wrapped in. I can't work out if I really like that or really hate that. Because we want, we want to be right where you want me when now. <laughs> you know, you've got me right where, right now. So we can look and see that God moves in a circle of completeness. And to say that complete, completeness is a theme would be actually to misunderstand what is actually the nature of God. So if we look back through Scripture, quite often the number seven is identified with finished or complete. And all through Scripture, the number seven is used at least 700 times. Now, a little footnote disclaimer. Sometimes a seven is a seven. Okay, so let's not get too... uh, cooked up that every seven, that anything anything to do with the seven is completeness. But 
for the most part, if you're studying and you're looking and you can see the right moments, seven is identified with finished. And when you start to really dig in, you can see that God really liked the number seven. You can see that God really liked to show up and say, this is my process and it will be complete. There are actually seven Jewish holidays, holy days, not holidays. They probably have more holidays than seven, but holy days, there's seven. When the Bible was first put together, there were seven sections put together. In the book of John, Jesus gives you seven I am's. In the book of John also, there's seven signs of what Jesus did. You know, there were seven clean animals that got taken on the ark. They went around the walls of Jericho, how many times? Seven times with seven priests and seven trumpets. And on the seventh day, I think you're starting to see a theme. Seven times, uh, Naaman got told to go and wash in the, uh, in the river to get clean. In the book of Revelation, there is seven churches and seven angels and seven seals and seven trumpets and seven, oh, everywhere you look, there's seven. Seven, 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 complete. God's trying to get through a theme that I complete what I start. Even in the feeding of the 5,000, when, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, I don't know what to do, uh, all these people need food and we've got nothing, it was a little boy who came to him with five loaves and two fishes, or maybe something that was a complete, where God will say, yeah, I can bring things to completion even through you. But it's not always easy just to follow things to completion. There's this great uh, term that they use in sport way too much, but they say this, you've got to trust the pro process. Things look bad right now, but you've got to trust the process. Things were great and now they're awful, but if we stay on the track that we're on, we know that things will come around because we can trust the process. We can stay on it. And I love... In the book of James as well, it's James 1, and maybe that's going to pop up there, I really hope. It says, here we go. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out in the open and shows its true colours. So don't try to get anything out of anything prematurely. Ugh. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient, in any way. Okay, keep, keep that up there. I want to tell you, tell you something. Now, the, book, the books of the Bible are not chronological. All right? They're put together in a sequence. It makes sense. There's, you know, uh, the Gospels and then there's writings of Paul and there's Acts and there's all these, all these things and they're all pieced together and they all make perfect, complete, awesome sense. Okay. Okay? So I'm not taking away from that. James 1, verse 2. James 1, 1 goes like this. Hey guys, hey, hi. That's basically one, 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 one. Summed up in a word is this, hi. Hey, 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 here we go. First, consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Okay, book of James, first book written. We're in verse two. Verse two of all, this, all the New Testament that was written to the new church Verse number two, and we're straight away up this. Uh, 
hey, don't give up. Hang around. Things are going to get better. Hang on. Trust the process. Because straight away, as soon as Jesus goes, I'm gone, and we're like, ah! Freaking out. He's like, hey, first thing, first things first we've got to write to you is, hey, hang on. (laughs) Hold up. Hold up. Hold on. I'm bringing it around. Don't, don't get out of things too early. Don't jump ship too early. Don't be the last one to leave the upper room. Hang on. It's coming. Imagine that guy. Talk about not trusting the process. Jesus' last word is, hey, go and I will send my spirit. Just go to the upper room and I'll send it. One guy's up there. Oh, man. Nah, too long. God, you don't know when to move. I'm boop, out. Trust the process. Don't jump it. Don't jump early. Don't get out of the will because we're impatient. Trust the process. I look through scripture and this is what I can tell. Most people in the Bible who get themselves in trouble is because they didn't trust the process. Because they jumped out early and tried to do things on their own. Oh, come on. I'm not even starting yet. Let's go. Ready? Here's my little post-it note. Number one, Adam and Eve. We're not even out of Genesis 2 and already we're out. You're taking too long. Things aren't happening the way I want them to be. I can't be hanging around in a garden my whole life. Come on, let's get things happening. Seriously. Abraham. Oh, promises of God through my inheritance. Hey, oh, hey, let's, uh, I'll get this party started. Come on. Lot, I'll just pick where I want them. Israelites, let's get out of here. Uh, let's wander around for the years. That seems way better than anything that God's got planned. Sure, we could just book it up here in a couple of weeks. Nah, let's hang around, see what happens. As if 40 years didn't teach them enough, they get to the promised land, they walk around Jericho, the process, it's great, next town over, forget the process, let's just take what we want and we all die. Like, come on, trust the process. There's Jonah too, but you know, anyway, I'm not even halfway through the Old Testament and the list is a post-it note long. Like, come on, let's trust it. Let's trust that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. Let's hang around long enough so we can actually complete what he promises to complete. Let's stick in long enough that we can say, God, I saw you do it once and I can see you do it again. Let's hang around. Come on. And here's the thing. Completion isn't the end with God. Get that. You see, just when the Old Testament felt like it was complete, the new was just beginning. In Matthew 27, I'll read this bit. And this is when you might start crying because I can't keep going over this. Okay, Matthew 27, 45 says this. Now, 
From the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man's calling out to Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, and let's see whether Elijah will come, come to save, save him. And verse 50 says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. <laughs> and behold, you know when they're saying behold, it's pay attention. It's saying this is the point. It's saying don't miss, don't miss what comes next. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You see, Jesus on the cross fulfilled 353 prophecies. Jesus on the cross was a cycle of completion. But this completion doesn't end there. God's just not into completing and leaving. God's into completing and something new beginning. So as one thing seems complete... A new thing was just beginning. What had been a process in the past, what had been a veil in the past, you see this curtain wasn't just a little curtain. It took 300 priests to move this curtain. This sucker was big. See, we had some red velvet curtains that were hanging over here when we first moved in. And I don't know where they've gone. I've heard a rumour... They've gone to Brett, Brett's office. But that's, that, I can never confirm nor deny that that's where they ended up. And, and, the, and they say it was 16 inches thick. And this veil had split from the holy to the most holy. This veil was a significant... Uh, a point that said you can't get into the presence of God. You see, only one priest once a year was allowed to enter into there. On what was called the Day of Atonement. And he had to be cleansed and he had to go through a process and he would go in. And it was one, you see, it was only one person once a day could go in there. If you went in there and it wasn't the Day of Atonement, and you weren't the guy, you would die. They were actually so concerned that the priest, when he went in there, <laughs> would die, that they would actually tie a little bell onto him. Kind of like what my bunny has on out there. So you can hear them. And so as long as you could hear the bell, you knew that he was still alive. And, if you, and they would tie a rope to him, because you couldn't go in and get him. And so off would go the, the, the priest on the Day of Atonement. And in he would go, this little bell, ding, 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 ding. And obviously if you heard like ding, 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 and then a dull thud, you knew to pull him. <laughs> pull him, but Johnny's gone. Pull him in. I told him he wasn't good enough. No, no that's not him. But anyway, okay, Day of Atonement. So this one priest would go in. And there, there's, there's actually, you can read 
about the Day of Atonement, but it's, it's a huge process full of types and illustrations of Jesus where they picked, they actually picked two goats and one, one goat would be sacrificed and one would be let free and, that was, and the name of that goat was the scape scapegoat. And he would just, it's full of things. But the priest would go in and you would, you would sacrifice the one goat and in he would go. And he would have to sprinkle blood over the emblems that were in the Holy of Holies. Can it, does anyone want to have a guess how many times he spring sprinkled the blood? Yeah. Boom. <laughs> what a coincidence. Yeah. So in he would go and he would sprinkle away. And that was the one day. So no one could enter. No one. That was the process from the day the tab- tabernacle, the, the measurements and the descriptions and the process were giving them to the Old Testament. Every year on the Day of Atonement, they would go this same way into the temple and behind the veil, the one person, and that was it. But on this day, on this day, behold, the curtain was torn in two. You see, in Hebrews it says this, this is, a, this is a hope, a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's sanctuary. You see, what used to be a sign of death if you went into it is now a sign of death if you stay out of it. And God tore it. He, didn't just, he just didn't make a little hole so he could pop your little head through. He tore it clean down the middle. So whoever and whatever and how big and how many, it doesn't matter anymore, can push into the holy place. And he's saying what used to be a process of you staying out, now I want to make a process of you coming in. You see, he's not looking for reasons to keep you out. Here he's saying tie yourself into a little rope and what the rope used to use to pull them back out is now a rope that we can hook to the anchor of his altar and it pulls us back in. That no matter how far you get away, no matter how far we stretch, he's pulling us back in a hope and an anchor for our through the curtain. No more curtains, no more veils, no more divisions between us and God. He's saying, I want you in and as close to me as you can on this atonement and seat. You see, as the curtain fell, there sitting was a seat of grace. On the other side of the veil was just grace. Grace and mercy and that's it. And he's saying, come on in now. Come on in. Behold the curtain tore. And your grace and your mercy is on the other side. Come on. Come on, he's pulling you back in. He's pulling you back in no matter how far you feel like you've gone. He's pulling you back in. He's pulling you back in. You see, we found, well, we didn't found, we got this little Bible downstairs. Isn't it cute? Look at this little old, little old sucker. If you open it up here, ah, oh, it's beautiful. It was uh, translated out of the original tongues and with the former translations didn't, diligently compared and revived by his majesty's special command. This is old. It's got a little seal on it. Right? It's beautiful. To the high and mighty, to the, to the most high and mighty Prince James. By the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France, Ireland, Defender of the Faith. 
Isn't that beautiful? I love it. But if we go if we go to the end, here's the end. End of Revelation. And it's funny because I was like, oh, this is so, you know, it's precious and it's beautiful and whatever. And then I read this little bit, oops, at the end. And I was like, it's funny how, you know, it says don't add anything to the word of God. And here they've added just two words. And you think, oh, it's just two words. What? What could really make any difference with just two words? That's all. It just says, the end. That's all. Just added that in there. It's pretty. The end. I'm like, you added two words. And they couldn't be more completely wrong if you tried. Because this isn't the end. God doesn't go, oh, I'm complete. The end. <laughs> Dust just came off that. <laughs> the end. We're done. Thanks for coming. Hope you enjoyed the film. See you again when I come back. You're on your own. So I'm like, you added two words and they're so ridiculously wrong. You're so missing the point. You just did all that and you missed the point because it's not the end. Because he that began a good work will bring it to completion. And God is so into new beginnings and so into things refreshing and starting again that he's so into it that it's never the end. It's just not the end. It's so not the end. In John 1 and 1, are we going for time? We're okay. John writes, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word word was with God, and the Word was God. See, John begins with the same intro as Genesis 1.1. In the beginning. It's like as as one became complete, a new began. And we can use the same language to cross over. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is a style of rive writing called Midrash, where Jewish rive writers would take a text from the Old Testament and give it a context and a more modern application. In the beginning refers to the timeless eternity of Genesis 1. If I could paraphrase John, it would be this. When the beginning began, the word was already there. I'm trying to make a point here that God is so into beginnings. That John makes it clear that the word is not just the beginning, but the beginning of the beginning. He was there in the beginning before anything was. He was at the beginning before the beginning. And Jesus says multiple times that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So here John is trying to start off the new by saying this, that no matter how far you go back, you can go back one year. You can go back five years, you can go back a thousand years, you can go back six thousand years, you can go back a million years, you can go back a billion years. And before all that, Jesus was in the beginning. He was already there. Even the way that he writes this, when he says, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word, was is past tense. 
He's saying even in the beginning, I can't even... There's no word that describes the beginning of the beginning. This is all just past tense. And what I find that is this, that as we move from sea seasons of completion, they normally bring a harvest of new beginnings. As things seem to be rolling into completion in our world, it's almost like another thing opens and there's a new beginning. I was thinking about, I didn't even look, at, look this up, but I was thinking of when a farmer, as they're ploughing the field, he's sitting on his track tractor and the little thing at the front's ploughing and sometimes you see on the back of the track tractor there's the little hook in the ground that's already preparing the ground behind him for what's coming next. I was like, that's kind of how we are. As we're moving into a harvest behind us, things are already preparing for the new beginning that's going to come. Because really, is the harvest the end of a season or the beginning of a new one? Is birth the end of pregnancy or the beginning of life? You know, as we come out of, as we come out of fall, is it the end of fall or is it the beginning of spring? Sometimes when things complete straight away a new Something new begins. And this is just a cycle that God loves. And all through scripture, he talks about things being new. His mercies are new every day. Revelation, he says, I'm making all things new again. In Psalms, he says he's giving you a new song. Ecclesiastes says he's giving us a new spirit. <laughs> Isaiah just says, hey, I'm doing a new thing. And maybe this morning as we come into Easter and we come into these great symbols of what Christ has done, maybe you're here today looking for a new beginning. Maybe you need a new mercy today. Maybe you need just all things new. Maybe you need a new song in your spirit and you're going to leave here singing holy, holy, holy. In 2 Corinthians, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All things become new he's so into just completion and beginnings completion and beginnings and you know this morning i'm going to start to wind things up here but we're going to do something really great and i can't think of anything better to do this morning is we're going to take communion and we're going to stand here and we're going to see we're going to see completeness personified and new beginnings personified So if the attendants want to go ahead and and hand it out, I want to read you this scripture. Because sometimes scripture just has a way to sum things up way better than you could. And it says this in Hebrews 10. So friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. 
<laughs> Let's do it. Full of belief. Confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. <laughs> Love this. He will always keep his word. Let's see how inventive we can be, encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worship together as some do, but spurring each other on. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. So now, without hesitation, we can walk right into the holy place. That's beautiful. Why don't you just stand once you've got your, your emblems? Why don't we just close our eyes and start to turn our attention to Him? For as much as as much as I can say, God can do so much more in just a moment in His presence. And as we celebrate Easter. What a great time to reflect on the things that he has completed in our worlds, the things that we're grateful for, the things that we can thank him for, the blessings in our world. And with one eye looking that way, maybe with the other eye, we can look into the new beginnings, the, the new things that he wants to do in your world. The new songs, the new spirit, the new thing. God, we boldly enter into your presence here this morning. We remember and we are thankful for what you did on the cross. So that we could enter into the holy of holies that we could boldly come before you with no shame, no doubt, no reservations, but we can boldly enter in to your throne of grace, to your mercy seat, knowing that everything that held us out has been removed. But God, no matter how far we've drifted, no matter how far we've gone, that you're just looking for ways to pull us back in. That God, that you have anchored us to your house. God, your word says that a three-strand cord cannot be broken. And I pray this morning that that's what's connected to us. Between you, the Holy Spirit, and us connected. Anchored into your house. That it can't be broken. So God, as we come here this morning and we take communion, remember your words and it says, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then here in verse 17, he says, And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said to them, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you now, I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And verse 19, he says, And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, and do this in remembrance of me. This morning with the bread in your hand, why don't you just take it in remembrance of him. Remembrance of the sacrifice. Remembrance of the suffering. Remembrance of the standing in the gap. The remembrance of taking it all on him. The remembrance of the nails in the cross. The remembrance of the blood that was spilt for us. Thanks for listening to the C3 Vancouver podcast. For more information on our church, check us out at www.c3v.ca.